and welcome to Buffy and the Art of Story Season 3. If you love Buffy the Vampire Slayer and you love creating stories or just taking them apart to see how they work, you're in the right place. I am Lisa M. Lilly, author of the Awakening Supernatural Thriller series and the QC Davis Mysteries, and founder of writingasasecondcareer.com. Today we are talking about Season 3, Episode 9, The Wish. In particular, I'll cover whether a character who dies partway through an episode can still be the protagonist, the events that shape a character's personality and story arc, how the wish is about a character who never appears in it, who the antagonist is, and on a more light note, how clothes really matter in this episode. As always, there will be no spoilers except at the end to talk about foreshadowing, but I'll give you plenty of warning. Okay, let's dive into the Hellmouth. The Wish was directed by David Greenwald and written by Marty Noxon. Its original air date was December 8th, 1998. We start, as we should, with plenty of opening conflict. A large demon is holding Buffy up by her neck. Her feet are kicking against a tree, and she is calling out for help. Willow tosses her a knife after first thinking Buffy is saying, Nerf. And Buffy kills the demon. Xander has been helping as well, and Buffy says how grateful she is that the two of them are there. If they hadn't been, she doesn't know what she would have done. She couldn't reach Faith, and she's worried because slaying is a rough gig, and Faith has been spending a lot of time alone. When Xander asks if they are done for the afternoon, she asks if he has plans, and he says, I cannot stress enough how much I don't have plans. They talk about whether Cordelia will forgive him, and he says he's left her a few messages, 60 or 70, And he goes on about how unfair Oz and Cordelia are because, sure, he and Willow kissed, but it was the last time that was going to happen. And they burst in rescuing them without even knocking. So really, it is all Oz and Cordelia's fault. And then we get one of my favorite lines in all of Buffy when Buffy says, your logic does not resemble our Earth logic. And Xander says, mine is much more advanced. Willow uh, expresses a lot more distress and guilt than Xander, and she says that it feels like all the air just goes out of the room when she thinks that she might not ever be able to be close to Oz again. We're only about 2 minutes 49 seconds in, and yet we have gotten so much already. The initial conflict with Buffy and the demon, which seems unrelated to our story, but does introduce it in a really nice way that I'll talk about later. We also get Buffy's concern about Faith, who doesn't appear in this episode, but in some ways, this story is all about Faith. And through some conflict and conversation, we learn about the Oz and Willow and Xander and Cordelia conflicts and backstory. We now switch to Cordelia. She's sitting on her bed. She's wearing sweats and a tank top and has a huge bandage around her midsection. 
She has a tray table in front of her, and as Xander's messages play, she is engaging in the time-honored tradition of cutting up photographs and burning ones with Xander in them. She also cuts out Willow and Buffy and just keeps the photo of herself, which does a great job of introducing this episode. And we go to credits. When we come back, we're 4 minutes 17 seconds in, and Buffy and Willow are standing in the hall near a row of lockers. Willow is very upset that Oz has not visited his locker. He may need books in there, but still he doesn't come and get them. They talk about Cordelia. They heard she was coming into school today, and Willow says that Amy saw Cordelia at the mall and she looked scary. The scene changes to Cordelia getting out of her convertible. In contrast to the last time we saw her, she is now wearing a stunning form-fitting red dress and stiletto heels. Harmony and three other girls meet Cordelia outside the school. Harmony tells Cordelia she looks amazing and they do air kisses. Now we are getting to the story spark or inciting incident. Typically that comes 10% through any story. So we are just a little bit past that at 5 minutes 20 seconds in a roughly 44 minute episode. But this does propel our story forward, which is what the spark does. At this moment, Cordelia is introduced to Anya. Um, Harmony tells her Anya is new and her dad just bought a utility or something. Anya and Cordelia immediately bond because Anya admires Cordelia's bag and asks if it is Prada. Cordelia says, good call. Most people in this town can't tell Prada from Payless. Harmony says uh, Cordelia was smart, faking an injury to be out of school for a week so that everyone would forget the temporary insanity that was Xander Harris. So I do have a tiny question in this. How did Harmony and her friends find out what happened? I doubt very much Cordelia was telling anyone. It doesn't seem like Oswood. He's very closed-mouthed generally. But perhaps Cordelia did confide in someone or maybe Willow talked to Amy. Hard to say, but it's an interesting question that is never answered. One of the other girls with Harmony tells Cordelia what she needs to do is get back on the horse, start dating again. Cordelia agrees and Harmony says she has the perfect stallion for her and leads her over to the stairs where Jonathan is sitting on the steps drinking a huge drink through a straw and he looks really confused when these pretty popular girls come up to him and Harmony presents him as the next guy for Cordelia to date and says she's pretty sure he won't cheat on Cordelia, at least for a while, and he's got a killer moped. And we cut to Oz, who has now come to his locker. Willow appears. She says, Oz, wow, look at us. Running into each other as two people who go to the same school are so likely to do now and then. Oz says hey and starts to leave. And she asks him to wait, and she is trying to apologize, but clearly she has done this before, which he points out, but she says she really wants to make this up to him. And he says, you can leave me alone. I need to figure things out. Oz is very mature and emotionally healthy here. He's clear on what he needs to be left alone for a while, 
And then he goes on to express some understanding for how Willow feels when she keeps trying to talk to him. He says, look, I'm sorry this is hard for you, but I told you what I need. So I can't help feeling that the reason you want to talk is so you can feel better about yourself. That's not my problem. We're about eight minutes in, and we cut to a different interior hallway. Cordelia sees Xander at the other end of the hall, and she stops John Lee, a football player, and asks if she has something in her teeth. He is facing her, so somewhat blocking Xander's view, and she moves her head from side to side. And from Xander's perspective, it looks like they're kissing. He slinks away, and Cordelia asks John Lee how he is, flirting with him a bit. And he tells her the coach cut him back to second string, and if he's seen hanging out with Xander Harris's cast-off, it will look bad for him. But maybe if she wants wants to go someplace private. Cordelia says, what? And he walks off saying, think about it. Now Cordelia runs into Anya and says, go ahead, dazzle me with your oh-so-brilliant insults. But Anya doesn't want to do that. And when Cordelia mentions her hanging around with Harmony, Anya says, oh, Harmony, she follows me around. Something like, if she had an original thought, her head would explode. And that is a nice callback to when Cordelia's relationship with Xander became known. And Cordelia said, I'm going to date whoever I want. And told Harmony all she was is a sheep who just did what everyone else did. So essentially what Anya has just echoed to her Not only is this a way for the writers to continue building Harmony's character, it also is building Anya's. Because when we find out later she's a vengeance demon, I have to think that she was able to learn about Cordelia and deliberately chose things that would make Cordelia feel close to her first recognizing Prada and now the view of Harmony. Cordelia admires the pendant Anya is wearing and asks about the designer and Anya says no it's an old thing from her dad sort of a good luck charm and Cordelia thinks it would have been great if she had that pre-Xander. Anya empathizes says can I just say men and starts talking about how terrible he is and doesn't Cordelia just wish but Cordelia says nope she doesn't care about Xander she's going to forget all about him and show how over him she is and we cut to the bronze where Cordelia is doing exactly that She is at a bar area laughing and talking. She's giving a great impression of having a wonderful time. Xander is sitting with Willow and Buffy. He does a fake laugh very loud and they look at him um, and he says, I need to be both giving and receiving of mirth. Buffy says she's support gal, but she doesn't feel good about the us against Cordelia part. And Willow points out that she and Xander are in the wrong. Cordelia leaves the bronze Buffy sees and follows her outside to talk to her. She promises she's a free agent. Xander did not send her to beg for him, as Cordelia says. And we're about 12 minutes, 49 seconds in, and Buffy tells Cordelia she knows what it's like when someone hurts you so badly. 
and that talking to her friends helped her. And I couldn't help remembering a similar moment in the pilot episode of season two when Cordelia followed Buffy out of the bronze and gave her some advice about keeping her friends. Cordelia looks like she is about to talk, but a vampire attacks. Buffy fights and stakes it. And now we are getting to the one-quarter twist, that first major plot turn that comes from outside the protagonist and spins the story in a new direction. It also often raises the stakes, and it does all of these things here. It comes a little later than 25% through. Usually in a book, it will be right at that one-quarter mark. In television, it is sometimes later. Here, there are a number of things that could be this major turn, but they all kind of add up to the same thing. First, Cordelia gets knocked toward a dumpster during the fight, and she re-injures her side and gets trash on her. Harmony and her friends come out and laugh at Cordelia. And Cordelia says to Buffy something like, you know what she's been asking herself, why me? Why do I get impaled? Why do I get bitten by snakes and date incredible losers? And she says, I finally figured it out. It's... And at 14 minutes, 13 seconds in, we cut in the middle of her statement, and she finishes it in the school courtyard the next day in the sun, and she says, Buffy Summers. And Buffy is sitting a little ways away with Xander and Willow talking and laughing. And Anya asks her if she's in pain because she notices Cordelia holding her side, and Cordelia says she pulled stitches last night, and surprise, it was Buffy's fault. Harmony comes by again with her friends and says, dumpster chic for the dumped, and laughs. Anya gives Cordelia her pendant for good luck and starts talking about, uh, isn't it all really Xander's fault? Buffy's a pain, but doesn't Cordelia wish? But Cordelia says she never would have looked twice at Xander if Buffy hadn't made him marginally cooler by hanging with him. And Anya says, really? And finally, Cordelia does make a wish. She says, I wish Buffy Summers had never come to Sunnydale. A little after 15 minutes in, Anya turns now in her demon face and says, done. So this is probably really that major plot turn. We cut to a commercial after this very dramatic moment. And when we come back, there's this white foggy screen. And then we see Cordelia in the courtyard alone. It looks really empty. Buffy is gone. And Cordelia feels her side. And she doesn't have any pain. And she looks around and says, Anya, I wish Buffy Summers had never come to Sunnydale. She was like a good fairy, a scary, veiny good fairy. So Cordelia's been on the hellmouth long enough to get right away what has happened here, and she laughs and goes inside. In contrast to before, Harmony and her friends are thrilled to see Cordelia. They are all dressed in shades of gray, and they compliment Cordelia's blue dress, saying it's so daring. John Lee walks down the hall, pulls Cordelia aside, and asks her to the winter brunch. He'd be honored if she would go with him, and she says she'll get back to him. He's excited about this. He says, really? And she says, yes. And Harmony says, Cordy, you reign. The next scene is the end of a class. The class is at least 
classroom is at least half empty. And when the bell rings, the teacher grabs his books, reminds the students about the memorial tomorrow, and rushes out. Cordelia wants to know what the others are doing later, but they remind her that curfew is in an hour. And Cordelia is confused, and she says, hey, let's go to the bronze. I feel great. Harmony now takes her aside and asks what's wrong with her. She wears this come bite me outfit. She jokes about the bronze. Cordelia claims she bumped her head. She's having trouble remembering things. And then says not that she cares, but in this reality, Xander Harris is miserable, right? And that willow freak he hangs with is not even a blip on the radar screen. And Harmony so much more serious than her previous self, says, well, yeah, they're dead. We switch to a deserted parking lot. Cordelia is looking for her car. There are no cars anywhere. And she is really rude to this caretaker who walks by, asking where he put her car. And he tells her that students aren't allowed to drive, and she knows it. And she better get home before sunset. Next, we see Cordelia walking home in the dark. This seems not that smart, and I was a little taken aback the first time I saw it. Why would she do this? Even though she doesn't know all the details of this reality, she certainly knows being out after dark alone in Sunnydale is a bad idea. On the DVD, one of the things you can get with it is they have the shooting script, for the wish. So it was interesting, one of the things when I looked at it, it says the scene is at dusk. And that makes a little more sense to me. Uh, This is meant to be in December, and the sun would be setting early. So it's a little more believable that Cordelia is hurrying home at dusk and trying to get home before sunset. But the way it's filmed, it looks to me like it's already dark. Though we do see businesses uh, closing their doors, pulling down grates over them. So everything is closing up. Cordelia runs into Xander, and this is another instance, both him and Willow, whom we'll see in a moment, where they look very different in how they're dressed. Xander is wearing a black jacket over a crisp white t-shirt. His hair is combed back. He has a chain around his neck. He looks very pale, and he just sort of exudes confidence. And Cordelia says to him, not not really taking in this difference, maybe because so much is different. And she says, what is this? Some kind of sick joke? Harmony told me you were dead. And Xander says, now why would she say something like that? Let's think. But Cordelia tells him, listen, they need to get Buffy, that she'll save them. She was supposed to be here, and she makes it all better, even though Cordelia hates to admit it. And Xander asks Buffy, the slayer? And Cordelia says, no, Buffy the dog-faced girl. Duh, who do you think I'm talking about? Willow appears and says, bored now. And she too is in leather, very tight-fitting clothes. And Cordelia does start to notice. She says, what's up with you two in the leather? Willow is saying something about this part is less fun. There's no screaming. Xander puts his arm around her and says he appreciates her appetite. And Cordelia says, no, no way. I wish it's into Bizarro Land and you guys are still together. I cannot win. And Xander says, probably not, but he'll give her a head start. 
So this is the midpoint of the episode. Before we get to that, though, a quick break. I am recording this on September 25th, 2020, and I have been thinking a lot about what could I do that could be helpful for people with kids in grade school who either are attending school remotely or are going to school but aren't able to get out and see their friends as much. So I wrote a guide for middle school students love to write. It is called How to Write a Novel, Grades 6 through 8. And it's a step-by-step workbook, though it's also available in ebook edition. And it walks through step-by-step the process for turning an idea or a group of scenes into a novel. And I use examples from the novel The Giver and from the film Toy Story. For adults, I also have audiobook editions available of The One-Year Novelist, A Week-by-Week Guide to Writing Your Novel in One Year, and Super Simple Story Structure, A Quick Guide to Plotting and Writing Your Novel. You can find those wherever you buy audiobooks, and you can also request your local library to borrow them for you. Some libraries already have them, others should be able to request them, and you can borrow them for free. So after Xander tells Cordelia he'll give her a head start, he vamps out. And this is what I see as the major reversal for our protagonist. It comes about 20 minutes, 22 seconds in. And typically at that midpoint of an episode, we see either the protagonist making a strong commitment to the quest, throwing all in, or suffering a major reversal. And this is definitely a major reversal for Cordelia. She screams and runs. Xander leaps over a car, catches her and throws her on the ground. A van, Oz's van, squeals up and Willow says, oh, swell, it's the White Hats. Giles jumps out. He's holding a giant cross. Oz is driving. Leary, who we saw in earlier episodes, um, he was, I'm pretty sure, a football player and the one who came out as gay. He is with them along with another girl we'll find out is named Nancy. And they hold off Willow and Xander and get Cordelia into the van. At 21 minutes, 51 seconds in, Cordelia is lying on the library table. She is still unconscious. And either Oz or one of the other students, maybe Nancy, says, what was she doing wearing that? Everyone knows vampires are attracted to bright colors. Like Cordelia's friends in the hall earlier, the others are all dressed in shades of gray, wearing very plain fabric. Giles tells them to go watch the perimeter. We switch to the bronze. The humans are in cages. They're tied up on pool tables. There is blaring, discordant music. And we find out the master is alive. This also could be considered a major reversal, despite that Cordelia doesn't know about it. And it does come almost exactly at the midpoint. We're 22 and a half minutes in. Xander and Willow go in the back to see him. Xander tells him they just had a prime kill, almost. An old crush, actually. Until that Wanna Slay librarian showed up. 
And he mentions that the girl kept talking about Buffy. The master is angry that they didn't kill the girl who talked of summoning the Slayer. And he says the plant will be operational in 24 hours. Willow pouts a bit and says they had crosses. So there are a number of things right there. One is this is a great job of raising story questions. We already have questions about this world. But now the master has said something about this plant that will become operational in 24 hours. So we've set a timeline here to add some urgency. And as an audience, we want to know what is that about? Also, really interesting what Willow says about the crosses. And it's something that struck me earlier too. The fact that Willow and Xander back off just because Giles holds out a cross. It makes me think that the vampires in the town have kind of gone soft with no slayer there. Cordelia now wakes up in the library and she is sort of raving about making a wish. And here we get... What I see as a commitment by Cordelia to getting Buffy back, when Giles is trying to tell her to calm down and lie down, she says, no, he has to go get Buffy. That Buffy changes things. It wasn't like this. It was better. The clothes alone. And he is seeming somewhat skeptical or not quite getting what she's saying. And she says something like, wait a minute, what are you doing here? And Buffy's not. You were her watcher. And Giles doesn't see how she could know that. He never told anyone he was a watcher. Now there are noises um, from outside the library. Giles is worried and he goes into the book cage to get weapons and he grabs a cross And Willow slams the gate shut and locks him in. Xander grabs Cordelia and says, so you're a watcher, huh? Watch this. And he and Willow on either side of Cordelia bite her and kill her. And we cut to a commercial. When we come back, Giles is breaking out of the cage. Larry and Oz return and tell him that the vampires attacked and Nancy is dead. As they are taking Cordelia's body to the incinerator, Giles sees the pendant that Anya gave her around her neck and he takes it off of her. We switch to the master. He is taking a small cup from what looks like an espresso machine. And I liked this transition because in the first instant, I thought we were seeing Giles getting a cup of tea. And then it's the master. Willow and Xander tell him it's done. And they're all happy. The opening will commence as scheduled. And the master tells Willow when she asks that, yes, she can go play with the puppy. Now we go to Giles' office. It's night. He's on the phone. And he's saying things like, it's imperative that he sees her. And something like, well, when will you? You're her watcher. So we get the idea uh, that Buffy's watcher really doesn't know what Buffy's doing, doesn't have regular contact with her. And finally just says, Just give her the message if you ever see her again. We now switch to the bronze during the daylight. Willow again says, bored now, daytime is the worst. 
and she goes to some cages. Angel is lying on the floor. She calls him the puppy and tortures him after Xander throws her a lit match. We get to see Angel's bare chest as she drops lit matches on it, and Xander loves watching her. At nearly 30 minutes in, Giles finds the pendant in a book and he reads that it belongs to Anyanka, a demon who is a sort of patron saint to scorned women, and she grants wishes. So they figure out that Cordelia must have wished for something, and Oz says, well, if it was a long, healthy life, she should get her money back. Giles tells them what Cordelia said about the Slayer and that he needs to go home to research further. He has more volumes at home and tells them to get some sleep. It is night. It raises another question for me, which is, why are any of them at the library at night, given what's going on in this town? And I guess the answer is they are the only ones fighting the vampires. So they gather there. It's their home base, much as it is in our usual universe. But it just seems so much more dangerous. And maybe it tells us what desperate times these are, that Giles is allowing regular students who have no particular powers to help him fight vampires and risk their lives just being there. As Giles is driving home, he pulls over because he sees vampires herding humans into the back of a giant truck. And Giles gets out with his cross. Um, he does scare a number of the vampires off, but then some of them overpower him and he is on the ground. We are now reaching the three-quarter plot turn. This is the last major turn, and it should grow from the midpoint. So instead of being this outside force that kind of throws everything in a new direction, this is one that comes organically from the midpoint, but it does still spin the story. This definitely grows from both Cordelia's reversal of the vampires attacking her and her commitment of saying you have to get Buffy. She changes things because 31 minutes, 45 seconds in, someone we don't see fights off the vampires and helps Giles. And then we do see Buffy, but she looks very different. Her hair is pulled back. It's in one long braid down her back. And her clothes, too, are different. She wears cargo pants, uh, flat shoes, uh, a gray tank top, and she has a scar over her lip. And she says, want to tell me what I'm doing here? In Giles' apartment, Buffy is impatient as Giles goes through his books. He's very excited when he discovers that they need to destroy Anyanka's power center. Buffy rains on his parade immediately because she says, great, what's the power center? And the book doesn't say. Buffy wants to just put a stake through Anyanka's heart. And when Giles protests that she's not a vampire, Buffy says, well, you'd be surprised how many things that'll kill. But Giles doesn't want to kill Anyanka. He wants to reverse the wishes. Buffy is really skeptical. She says she's taking an awful lot on faith here, Jeeves, and he corrects her Giles. And Buffy tells him, we fight, we die. Wishing doesn't change that. When Giles says, I have to believe in a better world, she responds, go ahead. I have to live in this one. I don't think it's an accident 
that she says she's taking an awful lot on faith because Buffy in this episode is quite a bit like Faith, the character. We are really seeing who is Buffy if she is not with her friends, if she doesn't have Giles as a watcher. Giles tries to explain how Cordelia talked about Buffy and that Giles was meant to be her watcher, but Buffy thinks Cordelia is probably just a big fan. Giles disagrees, and he says the master sent his most vicious disciples to kill Cordelia. Buffy's shocked that no one has tried to take out this master when they know about him and know where he is. Giles points out that they have tried to kill him, and he doesn't want Buffy to go off on her own to try to take the master out. But she says she wouldn't be much help to him anyway with his research. And when he wants to try to get a force of people to go with her, she says, I don't play well with others. So more comparisons to Faith, who we are told in the beginning is off on her own a lot. Buffy goes to the bronze alone. It is deserted and only Angel is there. He's still locked in the cage and he knows her right away and calls her by name. He tells her he waited there for her. And he was supposed to help her. She was his destiny. And all this comes out when Buffy is demanding, like, how did he know her name? Um, And, oh, he was going to help her. So it is a nice moment of back and forth conflict that gets out some backstory there and explains some things. And then she says, when he talks about destiny, is this a get in my pants thing? You guys in Sunnydale talk like I'm the second coming. He finally convinces her that he does want to help her, but while she's unchaining him, her cross nearly burns him and he jerks away. She thinks he's trying to lead her to the master so the master can kill her, but he uh, opens his shirt so we get to see his chest yet again, of course, and uh, shows his wounds and tells her if she doesn't believe he wants to help her, believe he wants the master dead. At the factory, large group of humans is in a big cage. There is all this machinery there, including a conveyor belt. The master is giving a speech. He is telling the vampires that uh, the detractors say that death is the vampire's art and that this machine goes against their nature. But he sees it differently, that they have always been bound by the mindless routine of a predator. And it's impractical. They spend all their time hunting and killing. In the meantime, humans have brought a truly demonic concept, mass production. We switch to Giles alone in his apartment. He is doing a spell, beseeching Anyanka to appear in the name of all women scorned. She is suddenly there in the shadows, and I found this a very creepy scene. The way she just so quietly suddenly is there and startles him. And then she says, and she's she's got her demon face, and she's using her gravelly, scary demon voice and says, do you have any idea what I do to a man who uses that spell? We are switching back and forth from that to the factory, um, which we will do throughout. A girl is brought out of the cage. I'm pretty sure she is one of those girls who was so mean to Cordelia. It's not Harmony. It's one of the unnamed girls. 
And she's put on the conveyor belt and it gradually starts moving. The master comments that she is still alive for the freshness. And as the machine rolls her along, she pauses and a dozen mechanical arms with needles pop out and go right into her body at different spots. Red blood flows through the clear tubes and Buffy we see is there um, in the crowd with Angel. And Angel says, what's the plan? And Buffy hands a mistake and says, don't fall on this. The master holds up the first glass of blood. Now we are getting to the climax where our opposing forces have their final clash and the conflict resolves, the main conflict. We're at 40 minutes, 12 seconds in when the master lifts his glass in a toast and says, welcome to the future. Buffy raises her crossbow fires and an arrow goes straight toward him and it would have hit the master's chest but he grabs Xander and puts Xander in the way and it hits Xander's shoulder instead. Angel starts letting the humans out of the cage. Larry and Oz were among those who had been rounded up and now they join in the fighting. At Giles' apartment, Anyanka says she had no idea Cordelia's wish would be so exciting. It's a brave new world. And she says, I hope she likes it. Giles tells her Cordelia's dead, but hey, that's just the way it goes in Anyanka's view. But Giles is telling her she has to change it back. He also says he's not afraid of her and goes on, your only power lies in the wish. And she says, wrong, grabs him by the neck and shoves him up against the wall, lifting him. So much like the demon lifted Buffy in the beginning. At the factory, Angel is about to punch Xander, but Xander stakes him. Angel turns, says Buffy, and dusts. We go back to Anyanka. She is saying, this is the world we made. Isn't it wonderful? Buffy is still fighting. She stakes Xander, and her face is so stoic. I mean, she doesn't know him, so there's no reason that she would particularly react, but the Buffy we know, even staking vampires, she has uh, she has feelings about that. She's not flat. And here she just stakes him, moves on. Her face doesn't change. Her expression doesn't change. And so striking compared to her comment in the beginning of this episode about how much Willow and Xander mean to her. The action slows to slow motion as Buffy and the master are shoving other vampires out out of the way to move towards each other. Buffy kicks a vampire in the face like we see her shoe hitting it which I also feel is a very telling moment. We normally don't see that kind of shot. We see her stake vampires and fight them but something about the boot or the shoe in the face is so striking and tells us so much about Buffy that we are shown this particular moment. Giles now sees Anyanka's pendant around her neck and it glows. He grabs it and she is so surprised that he is able to punch her. The master and Buffy reach each other and Anyanka is saying to Giles, he's got the pendant on the desk and he has some object, I can't tell what it is, in his hand and he's about to break the pendant and she says, you trusting fool, how do you know the other world is any better than this? 
And Giles says, because it has to be. And he brings that object down on the pendant and it shatters. In the other universe, the master snaps Buffy's neck. And she starts falling toward the ground. There is still all this fighting around her because to everyone there, it's not even a big event. They don't know who Buffy is. The master knows, but they don't. Before she hits the ground, though, we fade to that white, foggy screen that we saw before. And everything switches. Cordelia is back in the courtyard outside the school. It's sunny. Buffy and Willow and Xander are sitting together. And Cordelia says... I wish Buffy Summers had never come to Sunnydale. Anya turns around, but her face doesn't turn into a demon. It stays normal. There's no scary voice, and she says, done. So I see that as the end of our climax because Giles has changed the world back. Cordelia has returned. She doesn't know anything about what happened, and she is back at that moment where she makes that wish. So one thing about that moment with Giles and Anyanka, I have always been confused by this because he grabs that necklace from Anyanka's neck, but he already had the necklace. She had given it to Cordelia. So that was something I always found to be a little bit of a flaw and again, didn't care because I love this story. We're moving into the falling action. This is where we tie up loose ends in the main plot, in any subplots. Before we get to that, though, I do have one listener comment. This was on the website. You can hear all the back episodes on lisalilly.com. That's L-I-L-L-Y. Look for the menu item Buffy and the Art of Story. And you can also listen to the current episodes there. And you can post comments there. So this is from Steve about Revelations, which was the one with Gwendolyn Post. And all he says is, I really, really, really hate Xander. Um, I have a feeling that he is not alone in that. If you would like to comment in addition to posting on the website, you can also email me, lisa at lisalily.com, or find me on Twitter at Lisa M. Lily, hashtag Buffy Story. If you are enjoying the podcast and would like to see it continue, please post a review or rating wherever you listen to podcasts. Or you can tweet about the show or share it on social media or tell your friends. Also, you can support the show on Patreon. So it's patreon.com slash lily, L-I-L-L-Y. And if you do that, you will get access to bonus content, including patron-only Q&As. And when we get to um, season four, when Angel starts, I'll be doing some of the crossover episodes as bonuses as well. Cordelia, uh, when Anya says done, Cordelia says how that would be cool. And then she starts running through other wishes, like wishing Buffy had never been born. And she eventually gets to Xander, um, wishing he'd never know the touch of a woman and that Willow would be covered in monkey hair. Anya keeps saying done and done and very confused that this is not working. 
Which is interesting because I do think Anya knows what happened and has the memory. But maybe she didn't realize that not only would the wish be reversed, but she would not be the demon anymore. We see Buffy and Willow and Xander laughing and talking in the background. And Giles joins them and the episode ends. So one other question for this episode is, who is the protagonist? Because it is pretty unusual to have a protagonist die during the story. And I can think of one movie where it happens. It's an old movie, but I don't want to spoil it in case anyone hasn't seen it. But otherwise, very rare. All the same, I think that Cordelia is the protagonist here. So we look at the protagonist should be the main point of view character, should have a goal that the protagonist actively pursues throughout the story and must have the most at stake. Here, almost all of the story, at least up until she dies, is from Cordelia's point of view. We do get a little bit of Willow and Oz. We get a little bit of Buffy. But mostly, it is Cordelia's story. And even after she's killed, that's 26 and a half minutes out of 44 minutes, in a way, we are still in her point of view because we are in the world that she created. Yes, she is dead, but in a magical sense, a mystical sense, it is her world. Anyanka calls it that. This is the world we made. And I think she means she and Cordelia. This is the world they made. And she says something like, I hope she likes it. Cordelia also has an act goal. She wants to get over Xander and cut Xander out of her life. We see that in the beginning. And not just Xander, but Willow and Buffy. So even before she makes that wish, she is seeing all of them as a group as being the problem. So she has this active goal and she does pursue it to get over Xander and to get this friend group of Xander, Willow, and Buffy out of her life. And then she makes her wish and she lives in this world where she's really excited about these changes she's happier and then her goal shifts because now she has to deal with the consequences of her wish and her goal becomes to get Buffy back and even after she dies that commitment she made is propelling the storyline she also has the most at stake here first it's her social life and her happiness and then she loses her life so I do see her as the protagonist Another thing I raised at the beginning here was the role of Faith, who doesn't appear in the episode, and yet in many ways it is about her as a character because we are seeing alternate universe Buffy. What are the things in Buffy's life that allow her both to survive and to have more than just being the slayer? And that quest, that conflict Buffy always has with trying to have a normal life, it turns out that's part of what keeps her alive. Her connections to her friends, her focus on enjoying other parts of life, her mom, Giles. We don't know in the Wish universe if Joyce is still alive, but I I think there's a strong implication she's not. 
Because when Buffy's saying we fight, we die, wishing doesn't change that. So she is very much like Faith. What we know of Faith is she seems very isolated. We don't know much about her family. She's living in this motel room by herself. She's not hanging out with anyone. And she doesn't have her own watcher. When she got her own watcher, it turned out to be this woman who tried to trick her and then kill her or who did trick her. So we're very much seeing how does Buffy parallel Faith, how alike they are if you put Buffy in Faith's circumstances but taken to an extreme. And then there is the role of Faith as a concept in the episode. Cordelia has Faith that the world will be better if Buffy comes to Sunnydale. She doesn't know if it can fix everything, but she knows it was better. Now, she has more of a reason to have faith because she understands what happened, but her conviction, her commitment, and the fact that she knows Giles was a watcher, that is what gives Giles the faith to hunt this down to change the world because he says it would have to be better. But it takes a certain amount of conviction and faith to believe that because things can always be worse. And he doesn't have that close tie to Buffy like he did in the other world. He doesn't know the master's about to kill her. For all he knows, maybe she is going to succeed in killing the master. But he believes the world must have been better. And Buffy in this episode has no faith. She doesn't believe uh, that anything really makes a difference in the big picture. Looking at this episode for the podcast also made me think about who is the antagonist here. The main job of the antagonist is to oppose the protagonist. And when I went looking for a formal definition, that is basically what I found. Dictionary.com says the adversary or adversary of the hero or protagonist of a drama or other literary work. So why does this make me question who's the antagonist? My initial thought was, well, of course, it's Anyanka, except that... She is not opposed to Cordelia at the start of the story. Sure, she is befriending Cordelia for her own reasons. She's manipulating her. But at least ostensibly, she is there to help Cordelia, to avenge her, to avenge a woman scorned. So how is she the antagonist? And even when she grants the wish... She doesn't know what Cordelia is going to wish for. She tells Giles she had no idea the wish would be so exciting. So she's going to grant whatever Cordelia wishes for. So she doesn't seem opposed to Cordelia. And yet, once that world changes, it is Anyanka that we have to get her power center to change it back, to make things right again, which makes it seem like she is the antagonist. In a way, it almost feels like the alternate universe is the antagonist here or simply that there is evil in the universe. The episode almost seems to be saying, hey, this is the way things play out. It's a monkey's paw type of episode. Be careful what you wish for. And it's almost like that concept is what is the antagonist throughout the episode. And I have some more thoughts on that in the spoilers. 
So there was no DVD commentary here, but as I mentioned, you can read the full script. And there were some things I caught on reading the script that didn't hit me watching the episode. For one, which is just fun, the very first line in the episode is Willow's. Buffy is up against that tree struggling, and Willow says... Oh God, oh God, demon, demon, what kills a demon? As she's going through Buffy's uh, bag for a weapon. And that is what our main plot is about. What kills a demon? What will stop Anya? What will kill the demon? Also, when Giles is reading about Anyanka, when I was watching, I noticed the part about, okay, he found the pendant, it's Anyanka, sort of patron saint for scorned women, but I missed, he says um, more than that, he says that she was human, she raised a demon to curse her lover, and the demon did her bidding, but turned her into a demon, a sort of patron saint of scorned women. This is interesting because, as I'll talk about in spoilers, we later get a different story of how Anya becomes a demon. Also, the script sort of explains my question about Anyanka's pendant, the fact that she gives it to Cordelia, but then she's wearing it when she appears to Giles. And the script says she is wearing a pendant that is identical to Cordelia's. That doesn't quite explain how that works, but... I liked knowing that the writers did recognize that somehow there were two pendants or there was an inconsistency there. Finally, from a writing perspective, I liked looking at the script because it shows you where the act breaks are. And act one ends where Anya shows her demon face. So that would suggest that that is that first major plot turn. And then the next act break is when Buffy appears. So that is that three-act structure where you have usually a quarter to a third is the first act, and then the second act spans what I think of as the second quarter and third quarter of the episode, and it doesn't break at the midpoint. It just includes that, and then the third act begins at what I see as the last third or quarter after that last major plot turn. I mentioned last Monday, this is my favorite Buffy episode, and I think it's because I am so intrigued by the idea of what makes Buffy who she is, what makes any of us who we are, and what things, if you changed them, would so alter that person. And Buffy, from the moment we saw her, has been so committed to trying to have that normal life. And here we see Buffy without that, the Buffy who has had everything stripped away from her. That is it for this episode, other than foreshadowing and spoilers. I hope you'll stay tuned for that. If you don't, thank you so much for listening. And I hope you will come back next week for amends, which some people consider to be almost a pilot episode for the series Angel. And we are back for spoilers and foreshadowing. In seasons six and seven, we will learn Anya was a human woman, her lover cheated on her, and she did a spell to curse him and turned him into a troll. 
And the demon Tahafrin was so impressed by all the chaos she caused that he basically offered her a job as a vengeance demon. And she went on to really relish that and enjoy it. I am glad that they retconned that. It makes Anya so much more interesting. And it opens up all kinds of things um, to Hoffren coming back occasionally as a character. And Anya's attempts that we will see to become a vengeance demon again. And how trapped she feels as a human. This episode also foreshadows doppelgangland where we will see Anya as she strives to get her pendant back bring vampire willow into this world we'll get to see cordelia and vampire willow interact which is really fun considering cordelia doesn't know what happened she doesn't even know there was an alternate universe and yet they do have this conversation about xander when cordelia thinks that this is willow willow the fact that the first thing we hear vampire willow say bored now and we will have that echoed in season six when willow not vampire willow kills Warren. So striking how much of who Vampire Willow is informs our Willow when she goes to a very dark place. The entire episode foreshadows the Faith and Buffy story arc. Faith's anger at Buffy and jealousy of her that Buffy has all these things she doesn't have. And I don't know that that is in the surface of of Faith's mind, but on some level, she feels that very strongly. Faith's isolation compared with Buffy's connection, all of that is foreshadowed in this episode. I think that is the reason we have the reference to Faith in the beginning, being alone too much. It is both to highlight Buffy, what the change we're going to see in Buffy, and it's to remind us who Faith is and that she's around, but it is to start drawing this comparison in this relationship. And it isn't just about Faith. It is about Buffy, the parts of Buffy's self that she denies and the ways that Faith reflects and embodies that, and then the ways that Buffy can be a reflection for Faith. So all this is foreshadowed here. The antagonist question I raised, I see it as foreshadowing amends because next week in amends, the antagonist will be the first evil. That evil that exists and influences and kind of informs everything but is not corporeal. It has these bringers that work for it. We see it represented. It takes the form of people who are dead, including and primarily Jenny Callender, when it is trying to manipulate Angel. But the antagonist itself is this primal force of evil in the world. I do think that that is the real antagonist here in The Wish. Yes, Anyanka is an opposing force, but it is this evil in the universe that is what twists things. That is what takes a wish and makes it evil. 
I mentioned some people see amends as a sort of pilot for angel because it is when the opposing force for good in essence keeps angel alive. He is ready to commit suicide, convinced that that is the right thing to do. And this opposing force for good, it seems, or something changes the world for a moment and keeps angel alive. And it convinces him, along with Buffy's words and actions, convinces him to stay in the world. And eventually he will go off and have his series. In the episode after that, Gingerbread, Angel will talk about why they fight. That you fight because there are things worth fighting for not because you're going to win. And essentially, that will be the mission statement of Angel. And it's it's different than Buffy's because in Buffy, yeah, Buffy does not always win, but for the most part, good prevails one way or another. And then a more minor thing, which also foreshadows Gingerbread. In Gingerbread, Joyce will say to Buffy that what she's doing is kind of fruitless. She basically says, well, you you kill vampires, but do they stop coming? Does it get rid of them? Does it really change anything on a fundamental level? This episode preemptively answers that question. Yes, it does make a difference. So that is it for spoilers and foreshadowing. Thank you again for listening. I hope you will come back next Monday for amends. You can hear back episodes at lisalilly.com. Music for this episode was composed and performed by Robert Newcastle. Buffy and the Art of Story is a production of Spiny Woman, LLC. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved. Thank you.